Welcome back to Mommies on a Call and happy March. This month is Women's History Month. And so in honor of that, I want to add a little bit more to the mix and not just celebrate moms, but also include all women founders that still have a hand in something related to parenting, motherhood, or babies. So in today's episode, I brought on and interviewed Evelyn Rusi. She's a former Wall Street Journal reporter and the co-founder and president of Yumi, the baby food company that focuses on freshly made organic baby food that is tailored to your baby's developmental milestones. And while her co-founder Angela is a mom, Evelyn is actually not, but she brings to the episode such an interesting perspective of building and scaling a startup as a female entrepreneur. Alongside Evelyn in this interview is Ariana Schuldagger. She's the head of content at Yumi and the former editor-in-chief at Create and Cultivate, and she's also a mom of one. I loved hearing their different perspectives they brought to the episode, especially showcasing how companies, especially startups, can build a company culture that celebrates and supports working moms. We talk about so many different things, including all about baby nutrition, kid nutrition, and just startups, so stick around. And if you're a mom with a baby or a toddler and you want to try out Yumi, you can head over to helloyumi.com, that's H-E-L-L-O-Y-U-M-I.com, and enter the code M-O-A-C, that's for Mommies on a Call, M-O-A-C, and you can get 50% off your first order. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. My mission is to uncover the daily rituals, life lessons, real-life tactics, and favorite tools to inspire and empower you, Mommy, to get the most out of life every single unpredictable day. So grab your headphones, tell your kids you're on the potty, and tune in weekly for some laughs, knowledge bombs, and plenty of real talk with real moms, and maybe a dad or two. Welcome to the Mommy Pod. Welcome back to Mommy's on a Call. If you have a child under the age of about three, you most likely have heard of the company Yumi. Yumi is a subscription-based baby food company based here in Los Angeles, and I'm so excited today to bring on the co-founder and president, Evelyn Roosley, and Ariana Schuldagger, the head of content, to talk about baby nutrition, pivoting careers, startup life, and motherhood. So welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. I want to start off on a positive note and ask you both, what is your biggest win of this week? Oh man. I feel like if you had asked me this last week, I would have said something very political and probably very divisive. But this week, I think sleeping through the night, which sounds like not a big deal, but in the last eight months, I cannot remember the last good night's sleep that I've had. And I just felt this kind of breath of fresh air come over me and uh, a calm in my house and my my daughter slept through the night which doesn't happen a lot so got some good sleep we got some good sleep that's, that's a very, good win that's no not that is exciting. it's not very exciting but I, I slept so moms it does happen it's amazing for wellness so it's a win yeah. 
Okay. Benevolent. I mean, I wish I had that win. So <laughs> I will say I'm very jealous of that win. I worked out once this week. So I feel like that is a win in my bucket. So I feel like in general, I have not been so great on the whole fitness train during this time of COVID. So I have probably also like many people in the country have gained a couple of pounds during this time. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm just constantly at my desk on my laptop and not as mobile as I used to be. So that is the win that I will define as this week's victory. Well, congratulations. So you both are at Yumi and I wanted a little fun fact is that my two-year-old, her middle name is actually Yumi. Oh, that's yeah. So my grandmother was Japanese and that was her nickname. And so we wanted to use it somewhere. And so I like feel like I have this weird connection to your company because I loved Yumi. And then my daughter's middle name's Yumi. And now we're here. So precious. That actually just made my heart go boom, 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 boom in a really cute way. Do people say yummy? Because people sometimes say yummy when they talk about Yumi. Well, they can't really, like for her, I think they just ignore what her middle name is. And they're just like, we're not even going to try, but I could definitely see it being yummy, especially since you're a food company. If oh, you yeah. were something different, I probably wouldn't have thought that, but yeah. yeah. I mean, we kind of have to explain like, no, we didn't just spell yummy. It's not coming. <laughs> <punny. laughs> yeah. But it, it is a nice pun. And, you know, I, I think it, it is very funny though. We will occasionally get some Japanese influencer who very much wants our Instagram handle, yeah, we're, we're Yumi. <laughs> well, on that note, can you share a little bit of the story and inspiration about how this company started? And especially Evelyn for you. I mean, number one, you came from the world of journalism, so you can talk to that and to quit your job and to start a startup in of all things, baby food when you weren't even a mom yet, or well, I guess <laughs> you will be a mom hopefully one day. How did that come about? Yeah. So my former life, which now feels like eons ago, I was a writer, as you mentioned. So I was a journalist for more than a decade. I thought I was going to live and die in the newsroom. So I was at the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal covering everything in my career from terrorism to tech, right? So it, most of my career has been focused on the business world and technology and startups and venture capital. But I think like the narratives we tell ourselves when we're like 18, they shift and eventually you kind of come to adapt to them. So like, like I said, I thought I was going to die in the newsroom and I wasn't ready for many years to make that transition to think like, maybe I'm a different person, maybe a different path is for me. But it was interesting because in the course of covering startups, you sort of realize how they can be such an interesting agent for change and change at scale and positive change. And you know, in, in these conversations and in kind of bearing witness to these companies, it was very inspiring in that way, just knowing that you could push, you know, make your, make an effort every day for something that adds up to something bigger. And, you know, after a decade or so of being a journalist where every other day I was working on a different project and topic, and I found that very fulfilling, I realized that I, I did want every day to add up to this one thing, this one mountain, and could I change the world in a really specific way? My friendship with my co-founder and our CEO, Angela, has actually been for many years that predate the company. And so around this time, as I was kind of working through this, she became a mom for the first time. And she was naturally sharing with me all the research that we, she was finding. I mean, like every 
new millennial parent, she went down this rabbit hole on Google and she is this uber nerd, uber researcher and put together this Dropbox folder of every clinical study that she could find around nutrition and development. And she started just like sharing the folder with me and peppering me with all these interesting facts about how this period of time from zero, so the moment of conception to age two, is actually more important than the rest of your life in terms of nutrition and development. And I think both Angela and I grew up in a time where we thought that it was the adults who had to worry about the cupcake and their waistlines, but in fact, the exact opposite is true. And all there's you know countless studies now about how certain nutrients, whether that's iron and the impact that it has in building your brain, are just so important during this period, and they will have a lifetime of impact. And so it was in, in reading all of this stuff and nerding out together that one, we realized that there was a huge information gap in this market, that a lot of parents could be empowered by this information. And we also realized that there was a product gap. So Angela would go to the store, kind of like, what are the options for like a busy working mom? And when you think about how important this is and all that research, and then in contrast, how when she looked at what the options were, they felt really high in fructose. They were options that were older than her child. And so, you know, we came to realize there was both this information and product gap, and there needed to be a solution that really supported families and supported parents. And that's really the genesis of Yumi. So, you know, we had so much conviction around this. And it's funny because I grew up in this family in healthcare. So my dad, he has a PhD in chemistry. He worked for big pharma. I grew up in New Jersey. My sister's a doctor married to a doctor. But what's interesting in kind of being part of the family is also seeing how so much of our healthcare has been so reactive instead of preventative and not thinking about kind of the link with food and health outcomes. And so like my dad, you know, became overweight and he you know, is pre-diabetic. And so I would come home and like clear out his fridge of like the salad dressings that are high in sugar. Or my sister, when she had her first child, she was like, I'm really lost. I heard Angela has all this great research. You know, in med school, I had one nutrition class. And so it was really eye-opening also from this personal level of like the kind of impact that you can make in helping people understand and just help them connect the dots between nutrition and their health outcomes. And so that's how we had just such strong conviction, like since day one, that this needed to exist. And that if you care about metabolic disorders, whether or not you have kids or there's the state of health in this country, in this world, you have to start in the first thousand days. You have to start at the first bites. And yeah, so that that's why we left our jobs. Angela was working in finance, working really long hours. And we just gave up these careers we had been building for over a decade because it was really clear that we can make this impact at scale. And how is that working with Angela as she's now a mom? And so I know your co-founder is a mom. You don't have kids. And I know in the startup world, it's a lot of 20-year-old males who can just <laughs> pound it out and work day after day and do all this. But, you know, your co-founder's mom, Ariana's mom, like, how do you guys get this in? And how do you, you know, how does that function? How's the balance? Well, Ariana can obviously give her two cents. I think I'm so proud that so much of our company are parents. And the way Angela and I have always looked at it is, you know, startups are demanding. They require a lot out of you, blood, sweat, and tears. But parents can, of course, be amazing leaders of companies, and they should be seen as that. Like, if anything, it becomes an interesting force function where you become more disciplined with your time. And I think Angela and I have such 
a deep trust in our relationship that like, I know she's bringing everything to the table. She knows I'm bringing everything to the table. And sometimes your hours are just different and that's okay, right? And so we kind of see it as like, where do you get your energy from? And be as kind as to yourself as you need to be to be the best person, whether that's in your personal or your work life, right? So if you need to go and take care of your kids, if you need to put them to bed every night, if you need to go and work out, like you should do that because you should understand where your energy from and we should be trusting our coworkers, each other in that we're all adults here. Like we can all figure out how to be the best version. Do you feel like that Yumi as a company has a different company culture than others because of, besides the product that you create, because you know, you're a baby centric company, but just the people that you bring onto the team? Yeah. You know, I, it's, it's funny. I've only worked in a couple of, you know, companies when I had like 10 years of professional experience. And so I can always talk to, to my experiences, but I, it does feel like what we have is really special here because everyone at the company, I feel very deeply came here because of the mission. And so the kind of passion and creativity and the ability to have ownership over your work in a way that I think can be harder maybe at like a company that's truly scaled out is really special and creates a kind of energy, but I'll leave it to Ari to kind of like, you know, she can, she can give you more of her honest feedback there. Yeah. Ariana, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you were previously the editor in chief at Create and Cultivate. You've had, you know, a extensive career in all of this. How did that change once you had your kid and what brought you to Yumi? So Create and Cultivate, is incredibly long hours. It's incredibly difficult environment. When, when I started working there, it was very small. It was a a tiny company. I think they had 40,000 followers on Instagram or something like that. And I had just become a single parent. I was working 50 plus hours a week, the plus being the, the main factor there. And it was really difficult. And that's not to say that it wasn't an environment where I felt I was able to go take care of my kid if I needed to, or show up for doctor's appointments or pick her up from, from preschool, but no one had kids. And I think to your point that startup world and tech tech land is often a lot of really young people who have the ability to just pound it out day in and day out without this allegiance to family or a personal life. And the two become inextricably mixed, right? So their business becomes their life and their life becomes their business and they do not separate the two. I was finding it so difficult to say, I want to show up for myself and I want to show up for my career because being a working woman has always been, you know, part of my personality. And I think working makes me a better parent, a better person, a better partner. And at the same time, I felt like I was failing as a mother. And I think so often with parents and especially women, you feel this failure so deeply on just a, like a instinctual guttural level that men maybe don't. I remember this was, this was years ago, I think at one of the first Vanity Fair summits and Neil Blumenthal is who's the founder, co-founder of Warby Parker. He was talking about the differences in the questions that he would get when he would go raise capital versus what his wife would get, who's the co-founder of Rockets of Awesome. And she was always asked, how are you going to balance? How are you going to balance? How are you going to have kids and have a company? How, who's going to watch your children? And he said, I've never been asked that question one time in my entire 
career in all of the all of the rooms that I've gone in and out of, of of raising money. And I think women have ingested this narrative of balance, right? And so we're we're over here trying to be the Nadia Comaneci's of balance when the rea- when the reality is it doesn't exist. And so the more we bring up balance, the more we are reminded that it's an, an impossibility and the worse we feel about ourselves. So I was feeling not great, like really not good about myself. I had to work. I had to make money. I wanted to support my family. And I also wanted to show up for my family. And I remember talking to my friend, Zoe, whose mom was away a lot when she was, when she was little, she was a high demand actress. And I said, what did your mom do? Cause she was always on set. And she gave me this really beautiful advice. She said, I never apologized when I went to work. I never said, sorry, mommy has to work or sorry, mommy's going to be gone. There was no qualifying it with an apology because an apology means that you're doing something wrong. When in fact you're doing everything right. And so it was more of a statement to be congratulated of mommy's going to work. Mommy's going to take a call. And I really took that to heart at the very beginning of trying to find that balance where I just thought, I'm not going to apologize for behavior that I know isn't wrong. And if I ever do feel like I have failed as a parent or failed as a, an employee or whatever it may be, I'm going to work through that in a way where I can have honest conversations with my daughter about where I need to show up more. And I would bring her to the office and I would be, you know, interviewing big, big names, big names where like, you don't want your kids screaming in the background. And yet I just let it happen because that was my reality. And I did not apologize for it. What brought me to Yumi, it's so interesting to me. So I didn't know any of the science behind childhood nutrition when I was feeding my daughter. It, you know, I, I look back and I'm kind of grateful that I didn't know because I feel like all of the things that I was trying to understand, it would have felt really overwhelming at the time because Yumi didn't exist. And if I knew all these things and I didn't have a solution for it, I just would have been up every single night thinking, okay, cool. She's not getting enough iron or, oh, oh, I'm not breastfeeding anymore. How do I supplement this nutrient and this vitamin to make sure she's hitting these milestones and all of these things, right? I've actually known Angela for a little over a decade. We've been friends, peripheral friends, known each other, friends, hang out, you know, there's, there's been a relationship there. She and Evelyn were hosting this dinner when Yumi was in early, early, early stages. And I remember sitting at this dinner and thinking, they are gonna change the world. Like this is actually really huge because this does not exist. It didn't exist at all in any form. And I was like, good for them. This is so awesome. This is so amazing. And then I was in the middle of kind of a career transition, let's call it. And I had dinner with Angela one night and and she said, you know, we're looking for a head of content. And I said, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. (laughs) You know, I don't work with friends. Bye. Thanks. (laughs) And then she, she texted me the next morning and she said, I wasn't kidding. We actually are looking for a head of content. And I said, well, I don't want to report to a friend. I don't want to have this a relationship with you that 
would make anything awkward. And she said, well, you'd work with Evelyn. And I said, okay. So I went and I met with Evelyn and what was probably supposed to be a 30 minute interview turned into a two hour coffee turned into the realization that initial inclination that I had that Yumi was going to change the world is that they were actually on the trajectory to do it. And it was one of those lightning bolt conversations and gut feelings that you have where you say, I need to be a part of this. And the moment that I got behind the scenes, I realized this is a community of people who are so passionate about the mission of Yumi. They they believe in the product so much and there is no ego on this team. It's, It's unbelievable to see. I've never seen a group of people who are so good at what they do and so not driven by ego. It doesn't exist. And it certainly doesn't exist in the, in the startup world. So, and on that note, Evelyn, how did, how do you think, what do you think is your secret sauce of how you created this culture and this difference? Because I mean, for anyone out there who's starting a company, we all know culture and that is the foundation of what makes a company successful. You could have the best mission, best product in the world, but if you're not really embodying those values and all of that, what do you think you do as, you know, a co-founder and a president to really build that? Well, I think like culture is something you always have to work on, right? No one ever has the perfect culture. And especially when you're like a plane in mid-flight and you're assembling the plane in mid-flight, which is often the metaphor for startups. But, you know, I, I think we we were very clear from the beginning that one, we wanted people who were A, tied to the mission, really passionate and would then want to go the extra mile to think critically, think uniquely, and really contribute and make sure that they were leaving their mark. And one of the things like in the process of building the company and hiring people like Ari, that has always stood out for me, like when I used to cover Facebook, you know, one of the things the executives I remember had told me was that like, you should try to hire people that you would also want to work for, you know, and I, I feel like that's that I feel that very clearly with Ari and we kind of lead from that way in terms of like every person at the company is someone who can teach us something, who can contribute in a very meaningful way, have an outsized impact on this mission and that can generate a brilliant idea. And I think like if you approach it with that kind of humbleness that like you want empower people to make those brilliant ideas and you lead from this idea of like there are good ideas and we can take our ego out of it because we're building something that's bigger than us, right? And then that's a perspective we've always tried to lead with. And we've gotten better over time in terms of like codifying values, doing the things that startups are supposed to do in terms of like creating a more structured culture. But I think like leading with the right impulses at a gate and just like having a clear sense of like what you want from the team and the environment and where you're kind of like, what you want to show up to work every day and see. I mean, so much of like professional happiness is like who you're working with, right? So having as much discipline as you can around that hiring process and finding people that share your values and mission, I think is step one. What along the way do you think has been one of the biggest failures that you have encountered at Yumi, but that you have really learned and grown from to make it better? I mean, you know, it's funny. It's just like with parenting, sometimes you feel like you're failing all the time, but that's like part of the process, right? It's like constantly 
iterating and like that can be in the fundraising realm. And so like figuring out how to pitch because there's so much that you just don't know and you don't know what you don't know. So I would say like the entire process of the startup world is very iterative as it is. And I think like, you know, you make certain assumptions of what you think the consumer is going to want, for example, out of the content journey or the product journey, and you realize that you just have to listen. And so like, I think that's what's been really exciting is, is letting customers, letting those pain points lead us instead of us kind of just dictating and going with that. So being kind of very receptive to feedback and to understanding what we can do to best create the most holistic solution around those pain points of mealtime and trying to connect the dots and being educated around this. So I would say like that, that has been kind of like an important part of the iterative process. I, I think the same kind of kill your darlings approach that people talk about in literature can be applied to any startup. You have ideas that you're positive are just going to slap and then they actually fall completely flat and it's really disappointing and and you sit there for a moment and think like why didn't this connect with people on the emotional level that I expected it to why can't people see what's in my brain when I'm in the process of creating this that actually excites them about what we're putting out there and the reality is is that one you can never really plan for a viral moment it doesn't that's not the way it works you know, you, you get to hit gold once in a while, but anytime you plan for it, you probably fail. And so accepting that as the kind of rule and not, not aiming for it, but I can't really think of like one specific failure, but we, I mean, we fail every day and, and not to be, not to oversell the company culture, but there aren't, we had a call the other week and there was this general consensus that mistakes aren't made. Like mistake is not something that you should kind of ingest as part of your, your self-talk and, and the, the team that I work with as well, anytime that something goes slightly awry or it doesn't hit the way we want, or we're not getting the engagement that we want. And I can tell they're a little gun shy about stepping up to the plate at that moment. I always have to remind them, like, these aren't mistakes, Like, this is not a mistake you made. This is not something that, like, the concept of trouble doesn't exist. Like, I've worked for companies where I've thought, like, oh, my God, I'm going to get in such big trouble because I really messed up or, like, I sent the wrong email or I made this typo to a really big person and someone's going to yell at me for not, you know, being as detail-oriented as I need to be. And it just does not exist. And that's not to say there's no accountability because there is. But the concept of a mistake and accountability are very, very different. And we, I think, really follow the ethos of you fail every day, no big deal, keep going. And I took that from Sarah Blakely because she always said that her father told her, would ask her every single day, what did you fail at today? And if you don't fail at something, you don't really learn. So I was just curious because startup, it's like, I feel like you're always trying to figure it out. I think Evelyn, you had told a story once about the beginnings of Yumi where you basically went out to different families and just tested it and tested it even with adults and at dinner parties or whatnot. And I thought that was incredible that you tested baby food with adults and like just going through that kind of experiential process. So I wanted so to switch. Good. It's so good. It's well, the neat. John and Vinny's was, I do have to say, I did try the John and Vinny's because that was when my two-year-old was younger, but I just, I haven't 
done all that with, with this one yet. Still trying to figure out the food. And honestly, I wish I had you guys with my first kid because I was the person who tried to use the like steamer thing and steam and blend and make my own baby food. And every time I tried it, I was like, this is disgusting. Why would I try <laughs> and feed him this when it tastes disgusting? I love that you tested it with adults. So I wanted to talk just a little bit about nutrition. You say the first thousand days. Is that thousand days from birth, thousand days from where does that time like start? Yeah, literally zero from conception. Yeah. Okay. Oh, from conception. So So you're saying that I already screwed up majorly. Like I've already passed the point of no return. Great. (laughs) It's, you know, and it's a period that is through essentially the second birthday. It's just a time that is disproportionately more important, but like, don't worry, don't put so much stress on it. I'm sure you've done a lot. Very I didn't well. do anything that we recommend mothers or fathers or caregivers do either. So don't. Can I tell you, I'm a mom of now three and I still don't know baby nutrition. So this is going to be me asking you questions because I'm genuinely curious since I missed out. So when you're pregnant, then what can you do if you're not giving them obviously baby food? Are you focused then on your own nutrition? Is there things moms should be eating? Are you going to create like a, a Yumi mommy line where we can eat certain stuff? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, absolutely. It, it really is amazing kind of the, the biological connection, right? Like when they're in the womb. And so when you are eating, you should think about diversity still, like even diversity of like types of food, like have the spicy food, try different things as like, you know, you're, you're gestating this new life. And also one of the biggest things we, we do talk to parents because what's become more frequent is that parents who are pregnant are now reaching out for advice, which is great. And so we can be part of that journey even earlier. And Ari has been writing articles and working with our nutritionists and pediatric advisors around that period too. But like one of the things we do talk a lot about is like, be mindful of your sugar consumption. So that could have an impact on their metabolic health in the future, even before they're born. So there, there are things that, you know, that are good, like, you know, it's, it really is the principles of good eating, right? Think about nutrient density. I mean, it's the same reason why you have a prenatal vitamin, right? Making sure that you take care of your body because your, your body will prioritize that of the child. And so that's why you get these iron deficiencies. If you're not having enough iron during pregnancy, all these things. So like, think about nutrient diversity, think about keeping the amount of sugar you're consuming low, think about variety of like what you're eating, taste the rainbow, because that will give you the kind of the full spectrum of like taste as well as nutrition. But this isn't, you know, rocket science in many ways in terms of like, these are the fundamentals. Like, you know, people ask about, well, like nutrition tends to go in fads. And, but really when we talk to our parents about kind of the tenets of like, what is good food? It's things we've known for a very long time. What do you, if you were to like see a new mom and she's starting to, she's like six months, what would be the top three things you would tell her that are the most important things to think about in terms of nutrition? Yeah. Well, we just went over to off the bat in terms of no sugar kind of. Exactly. Be mindful, especially like before they turn one, like don't expose them to like the processed sugar or a high in sugar diet. There has been studies that show a correlation with like future metabolic disorders. And so you want to be mindful of that. Like the variety will certainly help like in tasting that rainbow, like color often means variety of nutrition, right? In terms of like the vitamins and minerals. And so, you know, being mindful of like the fruits and veggies that you're giving your kid, because like 
you want them to have enough iron because as we talked about the importance of the brain building block there, you want them to have calcium because their bones are kind of like also growing and building. And so whether it's your physical health, neural health, and, and just like future metabolic health, you want to really be certain that you're getting kind of the wide spectrum of key nutrients, particularly with like protein and like good fats and things like that. So there's a lot that are, are really critical there. And then as your kid gets on their journey of eating food, you also want to make sure that they are getting a variety of taste, right? So once again, it's that tasting the rainbow, and this is for taste preferences in the future and making sure they're not just striving to get the chocolate bar. You know, they you are creating their baseline. And so your kid is not out of the womb asking for chocolate cake and cookies. Like they are looking to you to kind of help form and shape their palate. And so there's so much interesting evidence that between the age of three to four, a child's taste preferences are largely set. And what is the biggest determinant of that is like the variety of exposure to flavors they have before that, right? So it's good to use cumin or a curry, which is some of the things we have, or Japanese sweet potato, and giving them that great exposure to variety of textures as well as tastes. And so that's where you're going to have a child that is more keen to want to have vegetables and want to try new things because you were thoughtful around kind of that variety of exposure. So those, those are really kind of like sort of just like key principles of, of good eating. Just from like a very a practical perspective and the way I've seen Yumi work in, in new moms and new dads, there used to be this feeling that you had to fake mirroring eating with your child and you would pretend to take a bite of baby food, be like, mmm, so good. And then, then feed them a bite because that's one of the practices that also helps your child become a good eater. Like they're responding at that age to your facial cues. They're picking up on your, your emotional availability. And they're also able to to read what's happening in a very astute way, more so than you would ever expect. So with Yumi, what I've what I've heard from a lot of parents is that they don't have to fake that interaction. They take a bite, then they give their child a bite. And even if it's difficult at first, the way their child is able to watch what's happening on their parent's face and their parent's reaction or their caregiver's reaction allows a pathway for that child to then enjoy the food, which is very different than sort of what you see with traditional baby foods. Like I'm I'm not going to name any, but there are many shelf stable brands that I definitely would not take a bite of. I snack on Yumi all the time. And my daughter who's seven loves Yumi more than anything. And she'll be like, Oh mom, can we get more of the cauliflower soup? I'm like, sure, of course we can eat cauliflower soup. And it, it just feels good as a parent. And it, and that's not to say that, you know, there are definitely picky eaters and there are all of these things that parents are dealing with that, that complicate the situation. But we're saying like, you don't have to live a chicken finger life, which is what Angela always says. Like, you don't have to live in this world of the kids menu. And when we talk about the ability to change the world, I think part of it is nutritionally, like we're raising a, a, a healthier generation, but that also means that they're going to be eaters of the world and they're going to want to go out to restaurants and sample different cuisines. And, you know, one of the reasons we work with these James Beard award winning chefs is because their palates are so different from what say my palate was a as a child or Evelyn's palate was as a child. And they're bringing in these flavors of their childhood and creating future foodies in like a really cool way, not in like a bougie, like we're foodies, but in this really cool they are going to 
live in a world where the world is kind of their, their big plate. That's a terrible analogy, but. Um, <laughs> I was laughing because I, I think my now two-year-old had had John and Vinny's before I even went to the restaurant. And I was like, yeah. wow, my <laughs> six month old at the time is becoming a more of a foodie than I am <laughs> because we had one of those John and Vinny's one when you did it. I wanted to know what is your favorite Yumi flavor? And do you try each of them? Absolutely. I mean, that is like the first thing we do whenever we're in like food development, product development mode is like, it has to go through a litany of adults before it's even tested by babies, right? So we ensure that there is like max nutrient density and all of those things as we're building the recipes that we make. But then we also make sure that like, this is something that registers as like, food that is enticing. That's good. So, you know, we also work with chefs on the flavor because, you know, to, to Ari's point, like you want to give your kids something that you see as food too. Like the fact that we've had historically this idea of baby food living in this label and container and that it's so far from what adults consider food, I think is like strange, right? Like you are feeding it to your most precious being. Shouldn't you see this as like amazing food too? And of course you optimize it for nutrient density and if they're under one, no added salt, all those things, right? But at the end of the day, like food is food. Like when it's good food, it's good food. And so that's why we do these chef collabs because it's also this idea that like we should have this celebration. Like this is a really fun journey that your kid is going on. Like their first bites, like, defining their palate. Like it should be something that incorporates like fun and joy and the celebration of food and who kind of embodies that more than the world of chefs. Do you do taste trials too with kids, with the actual yeah. kids before yeah. it goes yeah. on shelf? Okay. Well, oftentimes it's like, you know, the, the people that you meet yeah. and their kids like Ari will give it to her kid and things like that. But then, you know, as we produce the product and like build out the line before we fully like bring it live. We'll also bring in like people who taste tested, who are part of the focus groups early on. There's a lot of that kind of getting that feedback from customers along the way too, before we even officially release it. So where do you guys see the future of Yumi going? Because right now your subscription base, you buy directly from Yumi or helloyumi.com. Are, I mean, a lot of baby foods are now branching out into this more like organic or whether it's like we're focusing on month six and seven, you know, brain development or whatever that might be. I'm seeing a lot of that now because I'm in the thick of it. Like I'm looking at what foods should I have? Although my nine month old pretty much eats what the ki- other kids eat because she's the third kid. Um, <laughs> but, you know, where is the future going for you? What are you going to be in stores? Like, are you, you know, what, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I think that is something that every D2C brand thinks about in terms of the future omni-channel world, right? It's not like we are only kind of exclusively looking to just ship directly to consumers, homes, families, homes forever. But I think what's really great about the stage we're in in you know, building this company is that we get a really unique relationship out of it in terms of like being able to talk to this parent every single week, you know, Ari's built up all this content that helps guide them through that journey. And sometimes you get a little bit of that fidelity loss when you go into retail, right? When you're kind of a package, like that you're kind of trying to make a decision, maybe based on price or the packaging aesthetics and all of that. And so you don't get as much opportunity to engage with the family and the customer in a way that we get to, you know, every week by 
being in their home. So I think there's so much that we are continually learning from through that kind of direct relationship that we're really happy about kind of the ability to be in that phase right now. And that doesn't mean we won't be omni-channel in the future, but I think it makes sense kind of like given the stage of the company and how we can make this the most meaningful experience like through that relationship. So I think that to, to, you know, the conclusion of that is like, we're not in a rush to be omni-channel. We do see it as eventually an exciting kind of phase for the company. But right now we get to be like in a very intimate relationship with these families in their homes, giving them content that's really customized to them, which I think is pretty magical and, and will lead to really exciting things from like a brand and product perspective. Yeah. Well, I'm going to wrap it up with a couple final questions. Knowing what you know now and kind of learning about all the stuff in this entrepreneurial world, what advice would you give to your future mom self? That's to Evelyn. I tend to stress a lot. And I think, (laughs) you know, now that I am living in the world of moms and babies and knowing that everyone has their own kind of path and you're not expected to be perfect or do everything perfectly or feel that you're not failing all the time. And I, I think that was actually still one of the early things that Angela said to me that Ari just echoed, which is like every day you're kind of feeling like you're failing, right? And I'm sure I'm going to feel that way, kind of expecting that I'm going to feel that way in, in some respects, but being kind to myself and not letting that consume me. And that's understanding that is a universal shared experience. And every parent is trying to do the best they can. And we all need to be kind to each other and ourselves. I love that. And Ari, what is your superpower that you gained once you became a mom that makes you better in business? The value that I have in myself, it's it's pretty simple. I feel like I owe in part the existence of my adult self-esteem to my child because you realize very quickly what's important, what's not, where you draw the line and what you are willing to sacrifice for another human. And that goes a long way in teaching you what you are not willing to sacrifice for yourself and where you need to draw hard, hard lines in the sand I learned how to give a hard no and I learned how to stick up for myself. And I don't know I would if I would have gotten to that place had it not been for my daughter or it would have taken me a much longer time to get to that place. I feel like you probably know this when you're talking about your children, you're able to think about the world in more a more defined sense. Like you know more so what you want and what you don't want for them. And sometimes it's really hard to see for ourselves because you, you vacillate between, um, well, maybe that's not that bad, or maybe it won't be that bad. And I've made some really poor, I will say career choices in like making those assumptions that it's just gonna, that my initial gut feeling is gonna go away and I'll figure it out and it'll, it'll land me where I want to be. And she gave me that like kick in the ass self-esteem that sometimes you need to, to make hard choices and to say no to things and to stand up for yourself in a way that I was not able to do before I had her. That's incredible. So, 
Wow. And to wrap it up for both of you, what is one piece of advice you would give to parents right now to survive this time? I mean, we're going through a different time. It could be parents. It could be entrepreneurs. I'll let Ari start on this one. (laughs) Oh man, this one's so hard because everyone's day to day is so different. And I feel you know, the moment that I feel frustrated that we are still at Zoom school or that I, I see some kids going back to school and I would really love that time to send her out the door and have the ability to focus. I then remember like there are so many people in a variety of situations. And I will say that I'm a high risk person during the pandemic. So I have left home very little and I've probably been overly cautious, but it's just try not to be reactive. Our world as it exists changes with one tweet. It changes with one news article that has the ability to cancel an entire company, to cancel an entire person. And so we have this this new kind of built-in reflex that is knee-jerk all the time. Like everything is a knee-jerk reaction and it's really difficult to not take that in and have it become part of your day-to-day personality. So as difficult as it is, I would say, enjoy the slow moments, like enjoy the boredom, enjoy the, the repetitiveness of what you're doing. And don't let those, those moments where the whole world feels like it's reacting to one thing drive everything that you're doing because it can get you really off track really quickly. And then you can't, you can't show up for your family. You can't show up for yourself and you end up in a Twitter hole at three in the morning. (laughs) That's such a good reminder. Also maybe shut off social media. (laughs) Well, in a really practical way, obviously I can't do this for work, but I have muted everyone that I follow posts and <laughs> stories and not in like a, I didn't want to be dramatic and be like, I'm going to unfollow everyone. I'm going to delete social media. Like this is the end for me. Cause it's clearly not like we are a social world and you know, being in a startup, you have to be on social. But I was, I thought to myself, I don't actually need to see anything right now. I don't need to see anything that makes me feel like, Hey, I'm not doing enough. B, I wish I was there. C, well, it sucks that like I'm high risk in a pandemic and all my friends are out doing these things or these parents are crafting their whole house for Halloween or whatever it is, right? And so I just shut it down and my feed is empty and it's really amazing. And it probably won't last forever, but it's been about two months now and it's just a really practical thing to do. I will say Instagram really doesn't like it and they keep trying to populate my feed with suggestions. <laughs> Mute it for a minute. Stay informed. Stay informed. Please like read the news. Stay we're <laughs> science backed. Like stay science. Stay science focused. But if your friend is getting on a plane and it really pisses you off, you don't need to see it. If <laughs> it's just just some practical stuff. Yeah. I, I feel like my advice during this time, and it's such a tough time, like everyone is dealing with their own battles, right? Whether it's school Zoom or, or COVID, of course, but like, I think just trying to fight for the sanity and fight for the lemonade of the situation, right? So like right now, I'm living with my in-laws and I'm absolutely enjoying it. It's so great. Like I, I was talking to my husband the other day and we were like, we're going to look back on this time and realize how special was and just like 
have those conversations you normally wouldn't have. And just realizing that you can try to find these moments, even in all this, you know, grayness of just fight for that, those little happiness, the, those little things. So that would be my recommendation in saying, saying, but it's, it's really hard because I, I imagine everyone has their own thing to deal with. And so it's, it's a particularly hard time. For sure. Yeah, I, I don't want to underplay the the intensity or the the difficulty that this year has brought so many people. It's been incredibly incredibly difficult. I mean, in in my own family, my grandmother passed away. My husband lost his business. It's there are things that happen that are really painful, and I don't think either of us are by any means saying like just follow the yellow brick road and you'll be okay. (laughs) But there has to be at least one moment in your day where you experience some kind of small happiness for yourself, or it'll be really, really difficult to, to weather. I think what is probably it, what, what is looking like a, a second wave third wave, whatever you want to call it. So just be as gentle as possible with yourself and your family and call a friend if you need to call for backup. Yeah. I mean, that's actually something that I've done quite a bit in terms of like, see it as a time. Okay. okay, Maybe I'm not going to the movies and doing all these things, but like I can hang out with my friend who lives in New York or lives in Texas or Florida and like invest in those relationships. And that's been actually just so valuable I feel like during this time and and, in feeling like there's some productivity coming out of it is like reinvesting in relationships I maybe had not been spending enough time in when I was in the hustle and bustle of living in LA and all those things well that's perfect well thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day to do this and where can we find you both I think we're both private. <laughs> okay. Well, I was going to say, or you can just find you at helloyumi.com. At helloyumi on Instagram. Yeah. As part of my new social media strategy for myself, I went private. So I noticed that I actually re- went to your page today and I had to request it. And I was like, Oh wait, oh, she's no. private, but you have like almost 8,000 followers. So I was like, wow. <laughs> I know it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> There's not like a logic bridge from one side to the other. It just makes me feel better. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you could technically find me on Twitter or Instagram, but I, to Ari's point, I've been trying to be a little bit more chill on the the social media lately. (laughs) Well, I love it. Thank you ladies so much for joining today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time.